You're listening to the Faith City Outreach with your host, Marina Maria, who is also the founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. Marina wants you to remember Matthew 6:33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Now here's your host, Marina Maria. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Associate Pastor Vernon Johnson from Grace Journey, Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you so much, Pastor Vernon, for being on Faith City Outreach to courageously share your impactful testimony that is going to let our listeners know how loving and gracious our Father God is and how he transforms us into a new creature in Christ when we go to him. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Pastor Vernon, I know you have an interesting and an impactful salvation story, but before you were saved, I would like for you to share some background about um, your involvement in, in an occult and so that you're able to um, just give us some background and we can understand you better. Okay. Um, I will say that a lot of my past experience I don't share because it doesn't really serve much useful purpose except in a very specific situations when I'm mentoring or counseling with someone. And a lot of it I don't even remember because I choose not to. But I also remember too that I never want to use my past as a way of boasting about how bad I used to be because the glory needs to be given to God, Mm -hmm. not the enemy. Mm -hmm. But I was involved in both the occult and a cult. And these are two different things. Um, The occult involves magic, witchcraft and the supernatural Um, and the doorway for that for me was a witch that I became friends with Um, and a cult a cult two words is a situation where a leader has control over people emotionally um, financially behaviorally sometimes even physically and they tend to isolate these people from their family and friends um, one of the most famous groups is the Jim Jones group from a couple decades ago, three decades ago, I guess. Um, so I was involved in both of those two different situations. When you were involved in this occult, did you even know it was one? I believe I knew. And at that point, I was so messed up, I didn't care. As long as I could find acceptance, I would do it. Do you think that um, there's a lot of people out there doing the, basically following the same steps of wanting to just be accepted so that they'll just go into anything just to be accepted? There are millions of people that are experiencing that same thing. And the loneliness, the rejection, the pain of all that is so extreme that they will do anything, almost up to giving up their life, to feel accepted by anybody. What are some warning signs in identifying that someone is involved in in a cult? In a cult, um, one of the biggest telltale signs that people, family and friends will notice is a person is isolating themselves. They are focusing on this 
leader and they speak as if he is God. They have to have permission from him to do this, to do that, to do the other. They operate on many, many times on a level of fear of what he's going to, how he's going to react if he doesn't like what they're doing. Where was your family when you were involved in this cult? I was separated from them. I'd left home already and was living with some friends who introduced me to this cult. And so it was through your friends that um, you started just being involved and pursuing whatever it is that the cult does. Right. So what are those occult activities that people need to be uh, aware of? The first thing I noticed was an acceptance that I'd never seen before. These people were extremely willing for me to join them. Um, Come on, join us. It's going to be great. You're going to be loved. You're going to be accepted. You're going to find happiness. Everything's going to be great. And then they, they pull you in with all these grand promises before you really realize the grip that they're getting you, that they're putting you in. So they were, it was manipulation that was taking place and you didn't, you didn't even know it, I'm guessing. It was manipulation. I had my doubts, but again, I was so hungry for acceptance and I was so sick and tired of rejection that I was willing to do anything to go anywhere. What kind of advice would you give people who, yes, are hungry for acceptance? I'm not so sure I really give them advice per se as much as I show them that I accept them. Mm-hmm. They need to see action more than words. Mm-hmm. The words are like the wind, and that's what they're used to hearing. Mm-hmm. So for someone who's always rejected, never feeling accepted, they need to be shown that someone does care. And then the words will mean something after that. What was your childhood like since you were so hungry for acceptance and you were searching for that? My life was full of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, from the moment I was born until well into adulthood. And this was from both sides of my family with the exception of my mother's mom, her youngest sister, her uncle, and my dad's, one of his sisters. Those four people were the only ones who showed me any affection at all. And they all died when I was either a preteen or early teen. How did they pass away? Uh, Disease. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that. Um, And it was so bad. And the one thing that I can say is that I have forgiven all of them Mm. for doing that. And that allowed me to let go of things. Right. And did you, I know you, you forgave them, but did you also need to forgive yourself? I didn't really see anything that I did that I needed to be forgiven for in that regard because they were doing the rejection. Mm-hmm. The one thing I always wondered is, what did I do to cause it? Mm-hmm. And that's a common question mm-hmm. for people in that situation. Did you ever need to receive any counseling for the variety of abuses that you uh, went through? I did speak with a few adult men 
some pastoral some pastors, but never got never received any real professional counseling. Do you recommend that people do receive counseling after um, any of those type of abuses, either spiritual abuse, physical abuse, or sexual abuse? To some degree, I do. Um, it is so hard to find a good, qualified Christian counselor. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, most pastors are not trained mm-hmm. to counsel that kind of situation. But they do need someone to at least talk it out with. It helps so much just to openly talk about it. And that help let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can find um, and afford a good Christian counselor who doesn't keep pushing these secular ideals, yeah, that would be a good way to go. What advice would you give somebody who just came out of an occult and realized that they went through spiritual abuse? The first thing, I would want to find out to what degree they were involved, how long they were involved, and then warn them that it's going to be tough. They're going to be pulled. The devil is going to do everything he can to pull them back into that. And they've got to... Our hearts... When you take something out, it leaves a void. Mm-hmm. And you've got to fill that void with something. And that's when they need to really fill that with Christ. They may not understand that at first. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I try to befriend them mm-hmm. and fill that void myself in a sense and lead them toward Christ. And also maybe surround themselves with with you know believers. Right. I'll bring other believers into the mm-hmm. mix because they need many mentors, as it were, to help, especially someone who's been there. Exactly. So when you leave in a cult, do do people ever, does the cult ever come back to try to pull you back in? Is that common? Very common in the cult. Um, and then when you leave the occult, mm-hmm. my experience there was what I can describe as demonic visitation, mm-hmm. where as I was trying to leave, there would be demonic presence mm-hmm. around me to try to keep me back in it. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to break away. It, it almost felt good. And it's what I was accustomed, had become accustomed to. That was harder for me than leaving the cult who they did try to bring me back in, but I left the area. Uh, so it wasn't easy for them to get to me. Okay, so that helped right. you separating yourself from from where they live, right? Right. Okay. So why did you say that it almost felt good being still involved? The devil is can disguise himself as light. So he de- he deceived you. It was a deception. It was a deception, and I was accepted by this group of people that I was in. But it was isn't it a false ex- well, acceptance? It was very false. Everything about it was false. Okay. Walking home one night on the street, and I looked down at my feet, and there were flames of fire, several of them, going dancing in a circle around my feet. Mm-hmm. And they were all about probably about four or five inches tall. And What did you think about that? I was like, wow, cool. Okay, I was really in the throes of this at this point, between the occult, Satan worship, all that was going on, the drugs and the sex. Mm-hmm. It was just, hey, hi, this is all right. And then the torment started coming at night when I would wake up 
with like sticks poking at me all over my body. And you could physically feel it. I could physically feel it. And I would hear what I would describe as demonic voices. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point, some of the activity that was going on in the town are wrapped around this group, a lot of illegal activity. And I'm starting to wonder, okay, what have I got myself into here? Mm-hmm. And that's really when I started to break away and the things at nighttime started happening more frequent with more intensity. When you were wanting to break away. Right. So what would you do when, for example, what you just said, you felt like you physically felt like your whole body was being poked? What did you do at that time? There was nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. I, if I laid there, it happened. Did you I yell? Did you scream? Did you cry? There was nothing. nobody here. In a sense, I was almost petrified. I didn't know what in the world was going on here. And you didn't have any friends that you could share it with outside of that group? Right. The only, other, the only friends that I had, I'd separated myself from because mm-hmm. they were in the church. Mm-hmm. The real church. Right. So how did you even, when you say the real church, how did you even recognize or even know that that was a real church? Because you just came out of, uh, you know, being under the, being under the abuse of a cult leader, right? How did you know that this was a real church? Well, I was raised um, Pentecostal, Southern Baptist. Okay. Sprinkle, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. Seventh-day Adventist, and a bunch of others. <laughs> but I knew, even then, I knew the real God, what it looked like. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever experienced it at that point, but I knew what it looked like, and I knew where to go to get okay. it. I had that much instilled in me to know that. So you knew that, but before when you were getting into the occult activities, you didn't want to be related to a church. No, I was. Re- I didn't feel like I fit in. It didn't feel like I could relate to anyone there. There's always a distance mm-hmm. or separation between me and the other people. And as I look back on it, I think that came from the deep-seated anger that I had, mm-hmm. where I was so angry that the only way I can really describe it is rage was orgasmic. I loved being in a good rage. And the more rage, the more anger, the more rage, they fed each other. And that in itself is enough to make people stay away. Right. So you were, in a sense, well, you were, yeah, basically creating that separation from people. You were feeding it. Did you feel like by having so much rage that you felt powerful? Very much. Very, very powerful, um, and it instilled fear in people because mm-hmm. they'd seen the damage that I'd caused, right. and they didn't want to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. they, they pulled back. At what point of your life and at what age did you accept Christ? And this is one area where I battled. I was called into ministry at age 16 through a message of tongues and interpretation. Mm-hmm. I remember it as clear as a bell the people involved, everything. But I'm not so sure that I was really a Christian then. It sort of reminds me of Saul's conversion there on his way to Damascus. And I didn't really feel a real change or a real relationship with Christ until July 4th of 2009 when I was 44. 
And why do you say that? There was a real change in my life instantly in 2009. What, was, what did, do those changes look like? What do you mean? When I prayed my prayer to Christ to, ask, to repent, I told him, I told God, you either you remove my foul mouth and you remove this anger mm-hmm. from me or I won't do this. And it was gone in an instant. Wow. It was real. So at that moment, you just felt like something lifted off from you? Oh, a thousand elephants off my back. Wow. It was amazing. What was the first thing that you did after you felt so lift, so free? Was there something that you did after that? That maybe you didn't, you never did before and you wanted to do and you did it because you knew you were free now from the rage. I was home alone when I did this and I just sat back, let out a deep breath. It's like, it's over. It's just over. like that. Yeah. And it, uh, those changes have stood ever since. Mm-hmm. When did the cult stop trying to get you back it was probably a year after so it wasn't that long no because i left you know if i'd have stayed in town Mm -hmm. they would have probably kept trying Mm -hmm. but i took off uh my move from my home town in tennessee moved down to atlanta and just those four hours i guess was enough now when you accepted christ did someone mentor you after you gave your life to christ nope Nobody mentored you except I've never had a mentor. Christ. <laughs> Christ alone, right? My mentors have been in the pages of books and pastors that I've listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had an I've never had a mentor. So who was somebody that you really um, respect that you read a lot about or you heard their sermons? When I first started there was um, Jimmy Swagger. Mm-hmm. I listened to him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charles Stanley. Um, and actually, when I was, the Lord confirmed the calling on my life in quite a dramatic way. Um, and as you made one of the pastors, Andy Stanley wrote a book, Visioneering. And that book, the words in that book, kept me from walking away again. And then after that, God sent four people to me to confirm what he called me to do. What advice do you give new Christians who are looking for a godly church? Now, you said you knew what a godly church was because you grew up or you, you were exposed to it. Right. But what about other people who are not exposed to it? For a person who's never been exposed to church and they are new believers, first thing I say is get counsel from a, get counsel from a mature Christian. Is get, you know, for ideas, suggestions on where to go. And then visit a church. But don't just visit it one time. Visit it for a month before making the first decision to continue or to try something else. Because that first impression can be very misleading. Um, and then the only other reason to leave would be if the Holy Spirit, if you really feel the Holy Spirit telling you to leave, by all means go. But otherwise, give it a month before you make that decision. And then look around and look at things. As bad as... as Strange as it was sound, look and see how well the church is kept, fit the physical property is kept up. If they don't care enough to keep the property in good order, it doesn't have to be fancy or new or anything, mm-hmm. but it's got to be clean and kept, maintained. Mm-hmm. If they can't do that, to me that's a red flag. Um, is the worship, is it 
lean more toward entertainment. The smokes, smoke screens and the lights and the, all this stuff. Or is it music that you can really worship God to? Um, do the people seem to be glad to be there? After service, are they all leaving real fast? Or do they stay around in fellowship? If they stay around in fellowship, that's a sign of a healthy congregation, uh, of a family unit. Like there's unity, right? Yeah. Um, but most of all, is the pastor teaching from the Word of God? And for you to know that, you need to be a Berean yourself. And you, you will know if the pastor is teaching the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get in there and you've been there a while, then you can learn about the structure of the church, you know, what have you. But those are early flags to look for. Someone also told me, and I heard that the love that they demonstrate yeah. there from the leaders and from the people too. It's very important. At what time in your life did God call you to be the associate pastor of Grace Journey in Phoenix, Arizona? I'm not so sure that he called me directly for Grace Journey. Mm -hmm. That was, I think he opened up an opportunity through a very bad experience. He opened up the door for Grace Journey to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had called me into ministry, like I said earlier, at age 16. And then after I accepted Christ, what I, re- what I really believe is my genuine conversion, um, he sent me four people that I'd never met, had never even seen. And they came up to me directly and said, basically, the Lord is telling me to tell you it's time to move forward because I was hesitating. And one lady actually wrote me a letter saying that. And I keep mm-hmm. it in my Bible still. <laughs> As a reminder, right? Yeah. Oh, um, it's beautiful. And then through a bad situation, uh, the, the man I pastor with now, he started a church and then asked me to join him uh, about four years ago. So it was a, a roundabout, round the mountain kind of way to get there. Mm-hmm. But God says his calling doesn't change, and it doesn't. So it sounds like you weren't even surprised that he called you into it because he had already put it in your heart. No, there was no surprise. Right. <laughs> None. <laughs> What's your favorite part of being a, a pastor? Oh, one thing, I don't know. But it's so much fun to see someone accept Christ and then to baptize them. Mm-hmm. And then when you're given a sermon, you observe the people listening and you see them absorbing it. That's so great. Um, and I work with men to help them get free from sex and porn addiction. Mm-hmm. And when they tell me I'm free, I just want to dance. It is a so great. Um, now, with that type of addiction, how do you know you're free? When you can walk away from it for six months or a year, you've got, you've got freedom. Wow. The struggle continues, but God delivers 100%. Mm-hmm. This ain't no 12-step program. You're not always an addict. You're free, and it is so. It is such a blessing when they walk away from it. Um, but you know, talking about salvation, doing weddings, weddings are a blast. <laughs> but one of my most favorite things to do is talk about the promise of the rapture. God promised He's going to take His bride home, and talking about that with people, like Paul wrote in the setup to the. Uh, Thessalonian church encourage each other with that so that's you know those are just some of the things it's being a pastor pastor has its difficulties um, 
and I think it's for men it's even easier because we can put things in boxes mm-hmm. and open them when we need to and close them again <laughs> yeah. but it's worth all of that to do it it's the biggest blessing in the world I'm happiest when I'm doing ministry because of your past experience in your involvement in a cult how has this affected your pastoring and how has it affected your counseling but first how has it affected you as a pastor everything i've went everything i've gone through reminds me to meet people where they're at you don't reject them because of their history no matter what that history is christians are so quick if they think your sin is worse than theirs to tell you, nope, you can't come here. And then Christians, we love to eat our we love to eat our own. And what do you mean? We love to eat our own. If you're not as good as me, you're not really a Christian. You mm-hmm. can't really be here. Mm-hmm. Your sin is worse than mine. So the comparison. Yeah. And if someone does sin, we condemn them for it. Oh, we can't be your friend anymore because you did this. Instead of having a forgiving heart. Well, like Jesus and the um, prostitute or the mm-hmm. adulteress. I mean, I don't condemn you. No, just don't sin anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not like that. We hold grudges, and it makes the church weak. Um, but I look at it, and I see people and tell them, it is so easy to get sucked in to these groups that teach wrong things. So you've got to be a Berean yourself. Mm-hmm. You have got to put everything you hear from no matter who it is talking you have to put every bit of it against the Word of God mm-hmm. and let the Holy Spirit guide you. And if you know the Word, you're going to know the false. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to know all the false doctrines. As long as you know the truth, you'll know when something is not being right and you can avoid it. And then when I see someone who's going through this type of history, I tell them, surround yourself with people here in the church, older, more mature Christians to help walk this life with you. And not only will that, you'll learn, you'll gain wisdom, you'll gain, you'll have protection, you're going to have friendship. And the support they need Yeah. to go through the healing process. Yep, and that's a long process. So when you say long, what do you mean? It, does it depend on how long they were involved? Yeah. Like being in a cult? Does, yeah. that, does it depend, like if they were in it for five years? It'll depend it on how long they were in it. Um, what led them to even get in it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a multifaceted healing, and it can take decades. But you can heal enough early on where you can be part of a healthy group of community, mm-hmm. and the healing can still continue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been, a lot of my abuse started when I was a baby, and there are still remnants that I have to deal with today. Um, So it could even be a lifelong process, but it gets better every year. How long did it take you to heal? Once I really started healing, it took probably 10 years to get to the point where I was actually really functional. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm still healing today. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not overnight. Have you ever counseled anybody who went through spiritual abuse like yourself? I have. And... How did that go? It went well. Because they see, with me, they saw credibility. Mm-hmm. They saw experience. They saw someone who's walked in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Someone who fills my pain. Someone that can help. And most of all, someone who cares. And someone just having book knowledge, 
is pretty much worthless in this kind of situation. It's much more important to have the experience than it is the book knowledge. Once you've been, you know, once you've been, um, you've been, you got to heal yourself up to a point before you can help someone else. But then as you help other people, you also gain more healing. Do you also find that when you counsel people who have gone through what you went through, that you may have learned some new things you didn't even know? Oh yeah. Like you've just new discoveries of, of your experiences. Not that you want to go back to your past, but something that you didn't know that you learned from just counseling that person. Yeah, no, I may not. There's actually two ways that you learn there. One is from their experience, mm-hmm. seeing that they say, things that they've shared, but you also replay some of the things yourself and you can tweak your healing in that sense. So it actually works um, two avenues. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like when you go through your healing process, as you said, you're still, you know, kind of healing from different areas, right? Right. That counseling somebody also heals you and heals the person. Yeah. So there's one thing I've been told in the past is if you wait till you're totally 100% healed mm-hmm. to help someone, you're never going to help anybody. Mm-hmm. Don't let that stop you from being the person somebody else needs. Right. So how has your past experiences shaped you or affected you in your counseling? I can understand where they've, these, this person has been mm-hmm. and what it's going to take for them to get to where they want to be. And I can discern whether or not they really want to be free. Because a lot of people aren't to the point where they want to be free yet. And how do you find that out? You have to ask questions mm-hmm. and listen. Mm-hmm. Listen a lot. And then you'll, I will give them homework to do. Mm-hmm. And depending on whether or not they do it or how they do it will tell me a lot. By listening to their words, the way they communicate with me will tell me that. So there's a lot of different areas you have to look at. It's not just a one-piece thing. There's a lot of moving parts to it. So it would seem like if they did go to you, that they would want the healing. Not necessarily. So are they the ones that really don't want the healing? Are they sent by somebody else, like an organization, because they have to? They're kind of forced to go, or how is it? How is it that they are sent? A lot of times, they'll have family that says, "You need to go get help. Go talk to him." Okay, so it's not from their own. Yeah, it's not free from their will, own heart. From their own heart. Um, you know, like when I work with the men with sex addiction, mm-hmm. their wives catch them. You go see him and get help, or I'm divorcing you. So he, all right, I'll go get help. And he sits, sits in front across from me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to be any more free today than he did 10 years ago. So if people like that, you can't help. So how do you end up dealing with that situation when you know and realize that they don't want help? Um, do you just <laughs> stop the counseling? At that point, and a lot, some people might disagree with me, but I'll tell them, you're not ready, you don't want this, and we're not going to waste each other's time. When you want help, come back and see me. I'll be here. Mm-hmm. And I've had men come back to me a year, two years later. Okay, I'm ready for help. Mm-hmm. Now, why? Is it because you're being sent? No, it's because I know in my heart I need help. Then I can help them. It do you works. have many that do return? I've only had a couple in the last two, three years who walked away and came back. Mm-hmm. Most everybody stays and works through it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've had one or two that walked away and never came back mm-hmm. or haven't come back yet. I'm still waiting. Mm-hmm. But, and uh, praying. Yep. <laughs> praying for them. But I can't force them. Right. And you can't help somebody that don't want help. Um, go to father and son, for instance, and they're both needing it, needing help. Mm-hmm. Marital and the addiction from former abuse and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're struggling with it, but I see that they'll be back. That's good that you say that you're honest with them and that you also say that you're here for them. Mm-hmm. I tell them every time, I will not turn you away, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to waste their time. Right. And they respect that. There's people that are want help. And if I'm tied up with people who don't want help, I cannot help those who do. So. I like what you mentioned in your bio when you said, no matter someone's history or whatever they went through, in their past. Not one of them was created to go to hell. They are all invited to go to Jesus Christ and his arms are open to all. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little more about that? Yeah. One of the, um, when I was, I was looking for a church several mm-hmm. years ago and a friend of mine mm-hmm. goes by the name Lucifer. He and goes by that name? He like, goes by is that it name. a nickname? Yep. Wow. And he invited me to go to church. He kept saying that God, I've already done so many bad things. God can never, God will never forgive me. Mm. And I never could get him to understand that no matter what happens, look at what I did. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't the meanest, the baddest, the most evil man in the world, but nobody in their right mind had given me a chance Mm -hmm. with all that I'd done. But God did. And God will forgive every single thing that you did and remove it as far as the east is from the west. And I want everybody to understand that. And there's a teaching out there that says that God made some people to go to hell, and he made some people to go to heaven. And I say, lie! God made all of us to go to heaven, no matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, no matter what you've done, he's got a place in heaven for you. And that's where that comes from. God wants us all to be with him. What would you say to people right now, the listeners who are listening, and some of them may have gone through spiritual abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, or whatever type of abuse that they're going through right now, and they're searching for something. Like you were searching for acceptance. They're searching for acceptance. They're searching for God, and maybe some don't even know it. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them? Talk to them in a personal way, as if they're right in front of you. That's where I try to share a little bit of my story with them and build it up to the point where the day that I accepted Christ and I sat down on the couch and just went and let out that deep breath and try making, trying to have them realize that they could have the same thing. And the conversation is they're really going to direct the conversation themselves by what they say, by their reaction, by questions they ask. So I don't really have any set conversation. It, everybody is different, and the conversation goes different with everybody. I will reveal some things to this person and other things to this person, just to see where it would fit best. Um, one thing about a pastor is you have to be very flexible in your conversations. And at the same time, always direct everything to Christ. So, I mean, that would be, that's my approach. 
what scripture would you give to the brokenhearted or people who are searching for acceptance? I mean, we know that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. That is one of my favorite scriptures. Mm -hmm. what, be, what scripture would you share to those who feel like they're searching for acceptance and no one has accepted them and they're looking for love in the wrong places? They're just like, you know, once we're like us. Mm -hmm. I typically will go more along the lines of telling the story of what Jesus did. Not any one particular scripture. Okay. The 10 Christians do a lot of Christianese. Mm -hmm. They start throwing scriptures at people who don't know the Bible. That's true. So I take and I tell them, do you know what Jesus did for you? For me. And I go through a quick thing where Jesus came down to earth as a human. God in human form died on the cross rose again ascended back to heaven and he's up there on a construction project building a mansion for his children and he promised before he left that he's going to come back and get us because he loves you and me that much that he wants us to be with him and then we'll see how, how that goes but I don't throw a lot of scripture at people because most of them don't know scripture and it becomes yada 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 that's a good point what would you say to someone who said who would tell you but I'm not ready I, I'm, I've done so much in my life and whatever I've done is, is really bad and horrible I have a horrible past mm -hmm. and I've committed so many sins and I'm ashamed of I would share a little bit of my story but I focus more on the Apostle Paul when, especially prior to Damascus Road, what Paul did, I share a little bit of that with him. And he was killing God's people. And he became one of, if not the greatest of all apostles. So he can use you, he used me. You know, so, and again, it really depends on the flow of the conversation. Uh, don't put an emphasis on inviting him to church. I put, on, I put more of an emphasis on a relationship between myself and them mm -hmm. with the ultimate goal of getting them to church. Mm -hmm. But they need to have this relationship before I start trying to push something on them. Right. Just so they'll, they'll take it as I'm pushing. Mm -hmm. And they need the relationship first. And to see that you've also accepted them. Right. Right. And they feel love and compassion from you, right. like Christ. There's a lot of truth to sugar gets, what is it? Sugar gets more flies than vinegar, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> True. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pastor Vernon, for being on Faith City Outreach to share your testimony and just being honest about your past and how now the Lord is just using you um, for being a uh, pastor uh, at Grace Journey Church. And... Um, and that's in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, if Can you just end in a very short prayer for those who are right now needing prayer? And that is for whoever, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to pray for.
Okay, glad to. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your love, your acceptance, and your deliverance. And I know, Lord, that there are so many people that you created, that you love, who feel rejected or have, who are in the middle of or have been abused in so many different ways. Those people who feel alone, unloved, I pray, Father, that you will reach out to them. Bring someone into their lives that will show them a godly love, a godly acceptance, and to share the story of Jesus Christ with them. I know, Lord, there's a lot of people who don't realize that you can actually reach them. They feel so bad, so evil, so guilty. And I pray, Father, that some way, somehow, you'll break through that ice and let your love warm them, wrap your arms around them, and let them know that you will forgive them. And Lord, I pray for the ones who need salvation. Such a blessed and easy thing. You did all the work we have to accept. And I pray, Father, that they will accept you and your salvation. And that those new believers, and even older believers, that need a mentor, I pray, God, that you will send mentors into their lives so they'll have someone to gain knowledge and wisdom from, experience and support. And I pray that you'll lead them to a Bible-teaching, truth-telling, worshiping family, a church in their area that they can be part of. And I pray, Father, also for seasoned Christians that they will keep the faith. Because, Lord, you promised us that you're going to come and take us home to be with you someday. And, Lord, we do believe that day is coming soon. So I pray, Father, that we do not grow weary and that we live and look at with expectation for that day when you come and take your bride home. You are a wonderful, awesome God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You have just listened to Marina Maria, who is the host of Faith City Outreach and the founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. If you're interested in being on Faith City Outreach, please contact Marina Maria at fcoprogram at gmail.com. This music is made as a courtesy from zapsplat.com. Marina wants to thank Four Winds Ministries for partnering with Faith City Outreach.